Is that Cinderella? No, rock you like a hurricane. That's what Dwight Schrute means, I believe, before he enters a sales meeting. He sits out in his car and punches things. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Full Cup. It's me, Libby, with Rachel hanging out today. We're going to be talking about a pretty heavy subject. Well, and um, I'm glad that you said that because we're talking about eating issues today. And they are very serious. So we have to reiterate that this podcast is for educational purposes and for fun. Mm -hmm. It's not therapy. It's not meant to replace mental health services. If you're having issues, that needs to be dealt with with a professional. Because eating disorders actually have the highest mortality rate of any mental health challenge. But it is treatable. Well, and so are we only talking about... Because I feel like just in our culture, a lot more people than you think have eating disorders and maybe not meaning they're anorexic, but meaning they obsess about food. Yes. And it could be that they're still overweight, but still have that problem. Yeah. So we're not, we're not going to get in specifically, there are several different diagnoses that follow, that fall under eating disorders and all of them are treated differently, but Basically, the route I thought we would take today is talking that when we are not effective in protecting ourselves, in being empowered, our subconscious, it really wants to be helpful and steps in. Okay. And oftentimes that creates some pathology and some some behaviors that aren't really effective. When, when your subconscious has to step in to protect you and make things happen because for whatever reasons, either you're not able to, you're not willing to, you've experienced trauma, whatever, it can create protective mechanisms. So give me an example. Okay. If someone experiences a traumatic event and feels like they have loss of control, Mm -hmm. subconscious looks for a way to seek power of control. Okay. That can manifest itself through food. Okay. So um, there's lots of different ways that can lead you there. And I like how you talked about so many people have issues with food alone, whether it's a diagnosed mm-hmm. mental illness or, or mental challenge. It's very prevalent in our society. And actually, I would say that I grew up, maybe it's just because it's what I know, but I feel like the era that I grew up in conditioned us for that. I 100% Like yeah. I was thinking about it. My bedroom looked exactly like my brother's. My brother had... Cr- <laughs> Christy Brinkley on his wall, Paulina Poroskova, Rachel Hunter. I did too. Sarah Fawcett, maybe. I remember. Yeah, he was older than us. Soup. That was Christy Brinkley. Oh, okay. That was his number one. <laughs> oh, please. I knew all that. Right. So I had those same posters in my room. Mm-hmm. You had some Madonna. Yes. Yeah. I my All of my walls, none of them were covered with posters of boys. Yeah. They were girls. Um, sports illustrated pictures of good bodies. Clothing, I mean, things that inspired, but that was my focus of that generation. I also remember Snackwells. I don't know if you remember Snackwells. totally Came out in my era where everything Uh became Uh fat-free. My friends, I think for my eighth grade birthday, I think I was like 13, for my birthday cake, instead of cake, I asked for sugar-free, fat-free chocolate pudding. Oh, my gosh. And that's my mom made a cake, and then she made that for me because that's what I wanted because that was just – the trend, it was the focus of my mm-hmm. friends. When we got together after school, we went to the gym or we went running or we went walking along the boulevard or we did. I mean, that was what we did. Mm-hmm. We did Jane Fonda aerobics in a basement together. Yes. Like that was our fun. 
Oh, I know. Remember the guy in the back? Woo! woo. <laughs> the Jane Fonda video. Even and laying out like we laid out in our spare time. Yes. It was very external. Everything focused. about how you look. Yeah. yeah. Lots of um, turtle lotion from Mexico. Yes. Tortuga. Oh, do we admit to that? Yikes. They killed turtles Sorry, for that guys. stuff, but it we worked don't amazing. Use it anymore. We didn't know better. Yeah. Times we, we didn't. We're woke now. Then we're woke. <laughs> then we used olive oil. Crisco. I started with Crisco first and got <laughs> like, bright, I mean, 5,000 blisters on me. And then we ruined our aunt and uncle's swimming pool. They called and said, have you been using oil? Because there's a bathtub ring of oil. <laughs> yeah, we moved to olive oil because it actually, it kind of gave it you a different color of tan. Yeah. It was awesome. And and then you just absorbed it and were cooking and smelled yeah. really yeah. yummy like mm-hmm. an Italian. Everyone wanted to eat a pizza Yeah, mm-hmm. sitting around you. And I remember going to parties with friends and having like, <laughs> this is dead serious for real. And my friends, if any of them listen to this from junior high, they will know this experience. <laughs> they probably don't. But there would be like a bowl of hot tamales, which were like were those Mike and Ike little. Uh-huh. And they would be like, would anyone like to share this hot tamale with me? One. And I will. And so it was like, a little, <laughs> a little, little dent with your tooth. And then here's the other half for you. I mean. Wow. That is. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have that experience. My experience was different. And I I did focus a lot on food. And actually, I kind of have been nervous about this topic today mm. <laughs> because it was a big part of my uh, adolescence, but in secret, yeah. not with anyone else around knowing anything. Well, so. and I love that you own that because most of us know somebody. I mean, I would say I've had friends, family members, relatives, oh, yeah. clients. I mean- it's something. Well, that's the thing is it's like, for me, if I were to say, oh, yeah, I had an eating disorder from high school, in high school or whatever, that doesn't mean anything. Well, yeah, so did I. Well, so did I. Well, so did I. <laughs> like, you're not special or what? Not yeah. special, but like, no big deal, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. It, that's kind of terrible, but because it was very consuming and definitely damaging and and nobody I would not want my daughter anywhere you know but that's a good way for us to enter this because so I shared with you how I grew up and my focus was 100% on that external look and Mm -hmm. value there and back in another podcast I spoke about how we train our brains what we seek for evidence to prove to be true so if that's what I'm filling my brain with that's what my brain is going to see to prove to be true. And that can become all consuming. So I think it's a great topic. I do think because it can be so difficult that there's a lot of fear around it. There's a lot of counselors that won't treat people with eating disorders. And typically it's recommended there's inpatient treatment. And and again, depending on the severity, that is true. Mm-hmm. But it is treatable and there is a discussion that needs to be made and and the way that our society has kind of um, worked towards changing focus and views of women and not being about body image and all of those things being our most important value and asset. I think that we need to support talking about this Mm -hmm. because yeah, a lot of people exist with it in secret. Mm -hmm. So let's bust it out. Okay. Okay. So another thing that's important is every assessment I do. So the first time I see a client, 
our first session is spent doing an assessment. And I do most of the talking and I ask a ton of questions. And the very first question I ask every single person I see, I start with biology. I ask about the four frameworks I talked about before, right? Biology, mm-hmm. psychology, sociology, and spirituality, because those things all create who you are. They work connected with one another. And if one's bigger and one's smaller and, it, you know, mm-hmm. finding harmony between the fours is really what the goal that we're looking for. But um, the first question I ask every person I see is how do you sleep and how do you eat? Mm. Because if you're malnourished, if you are shamed because you're binging, that has huge effects on other aspects of your behavior, mm-hmm. the way that you see yourself. I mean, our, our biology affects all of that. So it is an important thing to talk about. So there's different types of diagnoses. I mean, what is an eating disorder? If you looked up in the DSM, it will describe anorexia, bulimia, binge eating, you know, restrictive disorder. But how I want to talk about it today is if it's just if food and your connection with food is the loudest voice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I like that. And again, if you are in, in need of professional help, please seek that. This isn't in replacement of that, but it's just opening a discussion. Maybe we start with talking about why. Yeah people develop issues with food. So I talked about before a sense of control. Maybe in your life, if you feel like you have lack of control because of an event that's happened, because of the circumstances that you live in, when life gets too crazy, food can create a preciseness that gives security against lack of control, kind of gaining control with this preciseness. Body image issues, self-esteem issues, obviously influence why people have it. Anxiety, trauma, stress, guilt, shame, if you exist in shame, that food can be a, a mm-hmm. huge contributing factor with shame. When I talked about perfectionism, I think this is connected with that as well. Because to me, when that voice gets louder, that's your subconscious stepping in, trying to help you out somehow. And to me, that's going back to that. Your value is dependent on your ability to perform. And food is one of those things that has a perfect formula on how to perform. Yeah, Like to say, I'm going to perform by being a perfect parent There's not really a formula Mm -hmm. for that. I mean, there are some people that have opinions, but I mean, people talk food all the time. Even like our government gives us the guidelines of like caloric intake, carbohydrates versus protein versus, you know, percentage and what you can break it down to an exact preciseness that you can follow and keep exact. And it's very tightly wound, very narrowed view. Mm -hmm. Going back to value is dependent on your ability to perform, I can actually judge, manage my ability, rate my ability to perform with food pretty easily. Oh, yeah. Rate. Give yourself a rating. Yeah. I mean, if you enter all those things and calories into MyFitnessPal and at the end of the day, you stayed at your number, you get an A. Right? (laughs) Yeah. It's very, very, like I said, it creates that preciseness that some people seek because there's either chaos, trauma, lack inside. So I find this exactness outside. Mm -hmm. So that would be the why, why it occurs. You covered all of the little things, trauma, whatever, but within those, it's a million reasons. Everyone's different. Everyone. I mean, I, I would say, ask yourself this question. Well, I guess we can get to that in the now what, but going with the why Maybe we'll get, uh, maybe I'll wait and talk about that um, in the now what, because the way that I see it is an eating disorder is your subconscious stepping in and saying, let me help you. Mm -hmm. 
only it's really shitty. No, I'm sorry. It's stepping in to help you, but it's really shitty. shitty. <laughs> yeah, doing it, right? I tried to come up with a different word, but it just is, it's not always super effective. Yeah. It's going to step in and say, you don't know. Okay. Out of the way. Let me right. take care of this. Right. And that's a lot so, of pathology. Yeah. So what about, I guess in my own experience, I would say, is that my subconscious? Because basically I just ate and had no control over myself. Like I ate too much and I'm so mad at myself. So now I'm going to go make myself throw up. Yeah. But why the need to eat so much? Is it a release or is the throwing up a release? Um, either eating just feels good. Okay. I don't know. It just feels good. Yeah. Dad talked about that in his last thing when he, uh, his last podcast, when he said there are two things that connect with all five senses. Yes. Eating, Intimacy, sex, uh -huh. and food. Yeah. So eating does do something for you. It comforts you. Mm -hmm. it, it can punish you. Mm-hmm. It can fill a gap. It can make you feel loved. It can food. I mean, our bodies have great response. But so taking it back saying, what is the need that's being fulfilled here in overeating, in restrictive eating? So yeah, I want to know, can it just be because you're bored? Yes. Is, is it pattern of behavior? It can be just, it's what I'm used to doing. It's what I've been conditioned to seek for comfort, or it's how I fill time when I'm bored. Subconscious doesn't mean it only just steps in when there's something like yeah. big and crazy. It can be like, oh, well, you're yeah. bored. What do you right. need to do? Okay. Let's eat. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm like trying to think what trauma or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I just. Yeah. It doesn't lazy. necessarily have to be connected to trauma or okay. a lack of control, but it can be. Um, no, I think lack of control is spot. It's a good one. <laughs> so there's all different reasons why. Create some insight. If you recognize that you have patterns of behavior, if food's voice in your life is the loudest one. And a lot of people will say, let's approach this about food because it's representing with food. But I would say food is the content. It's not the process. There's something, there's a process that it's, that it's meeting. There's a need it's meeting and it's using food to do that. It's not necessarily about food. Now with someone who has a really low BMI and there's risk of health or death, mm -hmm. then yeah, we start with food because we got to get you stable. But there's psychology that needs to happen underneath there that's saying, well, it's not just food. Mm -hmm. That's the content that your subconscious is using. There's a process that's involved there that we need to dig deeper in and say, okay. what's going on here? Okay. The food is the outlet. Okay. So if you find that that's an issue for you, I would say starting with a yardstick, your connection with food. Who sets the measurements of judgment connected with food? Who decides this is good, this is bad, this is too much, this is too less? Whose views are you accepting as your truth on that yardstick that you're using to rate and judge yourself when it comes to food? What's making me do this? Is it the commercial I saw on TV that says you should do this? Is it the podcast yes. that talked about <clears throat> this method of how, mm -hmm. what's the healthiest way to be? Is it your gym instructor who preaches macros or what yes. who, someone you see who has a great body and you say, what do you do? And that's what I'm going to do. Cause I want to look like that. Yes. And, and being very aware of who's setting that. And if that is the best person or thing to be setting that for you. And this is a really, 
I love that's this a, process. That's a good point because mm-hmm. yeah, there are some people who you might think, you know, they look great. And then, oh, that's actually not reality to yeah. live that way. And it may not even be something that I really value, but for whatever reason, I'm handing over that decision to them yeah. or to others because I feel like my value is dependent on my ability to perform. But why that's important is because you get to set those measurements. I mean, I, if, if I have someone in my office that cannot eat, they physically cannot eat and have not been able to eat. Okay. And that is, that happens. I mean, if you haven't experienced that, congratulations. Because of what? Uh, Fear of food, fear of gaining weight. Food has so much control over them. They cannot even eat. Doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. Not a grape, not a donut. So both ends of the spectrum Mm -hmm. can't eat. There's used to be this commercial on TV that would drive me crazy. (laughs) And only because I have the viewpoint of visiting with people that are in that difficult place journey. Right. Yeah. But it was a lady standing there in the grocery store and she looks, (laughs) she was actually, she was funny, but she'd be like looking at a cookie and she's like, so what? You're delicious. Who cares? Instead of eating a cookie, I'm going to have a bowl of cereal or a a yogurt um, that's healthier. And I'm thinking, or just eat a cookie. Now the measurement stick would be well, as a society, we know sugar, white flour, all of that is not good for you. So we will all accept that to be true. Is it really true? Is a bowl of cereal better for, or, or does it matter if it is the best for you? If I have a person in my office that cannot eat mm-hmm. and they come back and say, I ate a donut, I don't go, oh, you ate a donut? Well, that's the worst thing you could have eaten mm-hmm. because that's fried white flour covered in sugar. No, we're like flipping cartwheels and going, you ate a donut. Like you, how did, how were you able to eat a donut? And so she or he is recalibrating that yardstick of who's setting the measurement. If it was somebody else setting it, it, it's just, it's everywhere. It's so easy to accept someone else's truth of what your yardstick should look like. Yeah. And we usually seek for that when we don't know for ourselves. Yes. Oh yeah. I just want someone else to tell me for sure. Yeah. And then if it doesn't work. It's their fault. And that goes back to the box, right? (laughs) We talked about if I'm not responsible for it and I do it and it doesn't work, then they didn't know what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. Or if it fails, it's not my fault. It's their fault. Mm -hmm. But if I have to be responsible to decide for myself what's going to be best for me Mm -hmm. and I don't do it right, then I failed. Mm -hmm. Or um, if I do it right and it works, I succeeded. mm -hmm. That's a great feeling. Yes. Yes. So a lot of people are, are happy to accept that. And I'll tell you, it's hard to do it for yourself when you don't feel confident in that area. Right. But if you don't learn confidence in that area, you're not making any change. You're just relying on somebody else. So that's why I say, ask yourself, who who gets to set that yardstick for you? And is it effective? Is it effective for you? Not is it good, not is it bad, not is it right, wrong. Is it effective? The way that you're carrying it right now. And if you say yes, and I'm not saying people that are really fit shouldn't be really fit or that shouldn't be a great focus. Right. As long as you still have some choice in it. Well, because effective can mean different things for different people. Effective can mean, am I at this weight? Yes, it's effective. It can mean, am I happy? Yes. And don't care what my weight is. Yes. Then it's effective. Yes. Am I eating food when I haven't been able to? There you go. It's effective. Because there are some people that are are at their ideal weight, but are not happy. Mm -hmm. 
And the focus at keeping the weight, that's the loudest thing in their mind right now. That's the loudest voice that's being heard is staying there, but it's not necessarily effective for them because they're not happy. Mm -hmm. They can't go out with friends because they can't, Mm -hmm. whatever environment puts them in a place that they can't maintain what they're holding on so tightly to that it starts to create gaps in relationships, Mm -hmm. starts to create um, isolation. Is that effective for you? Yeah. And asking yourself that question, you might say, well, yeah, to keep this weight, but is that what you want the focus to be? And is that loud voice, that being the one most effective for you? There's that idea too of have to versus choose to. Well, let me ask this. If you go out on run because you choose to, it feels great. You feel strong. You're motivated. You come home. Woo. Or do you go out on run because if I don't, then I'm going to feel horrible about myself because I'm going to be ashamed because I'm fat and unmotivated and can't. Oh yeah, I feel both of those every other day. Hey, which one works best for you? Well, I definitely think it works best when I'm excited to go out on a run and want to go. But how do I want to go out on a run? Because it's hard, you know? It is (laughs) hard. It just depends on the day. Yes. But when we, I talked about this before, when you use negativity, shame, Mm -hmm as motivation, it does work, but it starts you down a really steep slope that can take you into a really dark place. Mm -hmm. Have to is Mm fear-based. Choose to is empowered base. The result's the same. You're still out on a run. And some people say, but I listen to myself when I mean to myself. Then that's why we need to get back to. That's something that needs to be re-recalibrated. Yeah. I kind of did a crazy voice right there. Maybe I was trying to be like dad. When I listened to his podcast, he's so animated. Wow. And I know I was like, wow. And then. Why would I do that? <laughs> but I like it. Okay. And then I talked already. Food is the focus. We think it is. But again, that's more about the content. Get deeper into what is the process in my connection with food. Food is constant. It's always available. Um, it won't berate you in the beginning right? It may not. It's, it feels, I mean, to have a full stomach, some people, there's a peace that comes with that. Even though afterwards there may be great shame and guilt. Originally there might be, I have this Mm -hmm. hole and I'm stuffing it with food and it feels good to have something to put there Mm -hmm. because what used to be there is no longer there, or I've never known what else to put there. Okay. But one thing that I commonly find with most people that I talk to that have food issues is there is a food voice, a voice inside their mind that is separate from who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, I I don't want to call an eating disorder voice because it's not only for people that are with a diagnosed disorder, but it's a voice that they talk to or talks to them about their relationship with food. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, We've talked kind of about what it is, why we have it, now what. So this is what I'm going to focus most of what we talk about today on. And this is gestalt. This is chair work. This is something that I do with most of my clients. I'll I'll give you some key pointers of why we do it and how it's helpful and ways that you can start implementing some of these ideas for yourself. But just in talking about it, we're not going to do an actual gestalt episode. I appreciate that. (laughs) You don't want to do it, Libby? No. Okay. Why, why I think Gestalt works so good with this is because of this eating voice that I hear so many people talk about this eating voice that shames me when I eat or shames me when I see myself in the mirror 
or, you know, picks at me or cheers me on when I haven't eaten for a few days. It's this separate voice. So what I tell clients to do is just like when I talked about an anxiety, people will come into my office and say, I have this issue with food. I got to get rid of it. I hate it. It's causing so many problems. I, you know, I've been hospitalized or um, I've put on weight or whatever it is, and they want to get rid of it. My philosophy is let's actually connect with it. Let's become friends with it. Let's get to know it. Let's understand it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what I find 100%, I mean, I try not to be a catastrophic person, but 100% of the time I do this with clients, we find that this eating voice actually is there to help them. And they think, oh, it's so awful. It hurts me. It ruins everything. And is which why they want to get rid of it, why they hate it. But when you start to form a relationship, they recognize, my gosh, it's here to help me. So gestalt work is this. It's where you put, I put an eating disorder voice, a a person, my part of me that has an issue with food in a chair, and I'm going to have a conversation with it. Mm -hmm. And why that's effective is because one, you start out by actually that internal voice, you're giving it an external voice. And sometimes when you hear yourself say things out loud, Logic can step in a little quicker, and so it might feel different once you say it out loud than just keeping the thoughts inside your head. Oh, yeah. I think that's very true. I would share an example of that, but I think I'll just let you go on. (laughs) Okay. So it gives that internal emotion a voice to be heard that also incorporates the logical part of your brain, not just the emotional part of brain, which can help make better sense of what it is that you're saying. Yeah. Recognize if it is truth, but also you're being heard. You're validating yourself. You're owning it. You're owning truth, which can be part of the battle. Actually saying it out loud. There's a lot of people that I see that are like, yeah, no thanks. Right. Because if I say it out loud, it means it's real. Yeah. It's true. And I don't want that to be true. Yeah. But like taking a Dr. Phil moment, right? You can't change what you can't acknowledge to be true. Ooh. Did he say that? Does he? I feel like he says that. I know he says, how's that working for you? He does say that. And (laughs) I should feel like I should know this. I really don't watch Dr. Phil that much, but I was late picking my daughter up from school because I was doing some stuff on the computer and I lost track of time. I think I was doing notes. And (laughs) the school called me to tell me, hey, she's here. And I said, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm on my way. It was only a few minutes late. But the secretary said, Lulabelle told us that you are late to pick her up because you like to watch Dr. Phil and fall asleep on the couch. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, one time. I did that one time. Oh, my gosh. Um, And you probably never watched Dr. Phil. Right? She she gets that from her mama. She's my little catastrophic thinker also where it's like every – my mom – is late every time because she falls asleep on the couch watching, watching mm-hmm. Dr. Phil every time or that sounds like once. Nice afternoon. I know. I actually said to the lady, yeah, I wish. Actually, I'm going to try that. If I'm already getting <laughs> – that's what I'm getting blamed for. Then, yeah, I'm doing that. So so putting this voice in the chair, you're going to have a conversation with it. Okay. We'll talk to it as though it's its own person. What is it like having that person exist with you? Tell it. Mm. Like, do, do you like – do you like her? Do you not like her? Usually I hear people say, no, I hate her. She's ruining everything. Mm -hmm. And then you, the person who's sharing all their feelings, then gets to sit in the chair where the eating disorder person is, the eating voice, and gets to respond back as the eating disorder voice and Mm -hmm. say, okay, now how do you feel about what she had to say? 
And then they get to hear a response. And this response usually says something like, I don't care that you hate me because I'm not going anywhere. I've been here for a long time. And so you're just going to have to get used to me. Okay. That's what they hear. So come back. How would you respond to that? It opens up a conversation, an actual conversation between you and emotion, thought, emotions that I've kept inside. And it's leaning into that instead of fearing it, right? Let's let's get to know this. Let's become friends. Let's work together. And usually throughout this process, so it's validating your emotions. It's owning what is true. Then it's trying to figure out how to work together. Somewhere along that process, the eating voice usually says, I'm here to help you. Don't you see that if I keep you thin, everyone's going to still like you? Mm-hmm. Your mom's going to think you're good enough? What, whatever it can be connected to. It can be shaming from parents. It can be stress at work. Whatever it is, I'm helping you. Mm-hmm. I'm in, this preciseness is helping you know that you are this, this, and this, and this. And when they hear that, they're like, well, geez, yeah, okay, I get that, but it's not... It's not working. You're not, this is not helpful. It's actually hurting me. So as we continue this conversation back and forth, then how do, can I help you help me better? If you're here to help me and you're trying this way, it ain't working. Mm -hmm. Let's see if we can do it better. Oftentimes what will happen though, is that person will get a little bit fearful because they recognize the power that this has had for them. It may be uncomfortable. It may have ruined things, but it's something that they know they're familiar with Mm -hmm. it. They seek it. It's comfort. It's peace. And so leaning into changing that means there's going to be change, which is uncomfortable, which is not peaceful. But change is how we get that voice to become a little softer and let another voice become a little bit louder. Maybe today you get to say, eating voice, you can be in the passenger seat. Or maybe today you're going to be in the back seat. Or maybe today you're like in the trunk with duct tape on your mouth. Mm-hmm. I get to choose that today. And then I might let you up a little bit closer. You're not in my seat, though. You're not driving this. But um, building that relationship, getting to work with it, and then saying, we're going to make this change together. How can you help me? I'm going to help you help me better. And then when we do that, I mean, oftentimes eating voices are a little bit... <laughs> hesitant, resistant. And so we call in the troops. We use imagery to support and bring in strengths that above and beyond just our own, maybe a mom, maybe a boyfriend that says, yeah, I'd support you in doing this. So not actually talking to the person, just... Yeah. Well, this is the great thing about why, and this is what I'm going to recommend people to do, okay? As a first start, if you have an issue with food, Get to know that issue. Talk with it. If it's awkward, and it is awkward, let me just tell you, putting it in a chair and then sitting across from it like it's a person and saying, okay, what's up? I hate you. Right. You're ruining things. And then you actually get up out of your chair, walk over to that chair. I can do it right now. Walk over to a different chair. over to the other chair and being that voice. And I say, I don't care that you hate me. I'm I'm louder than you. You can hate me all you want. That's not going to change anything. Okay. And then I go get up, walk back over. (gasps) Yeah, I know. I've been trying to change you and you're not listening, but it's destroying everything. I don't like you. Get up and walk over, sit back down as the eating voice. Do you care that she doesn't like you? Yeah, actually, I kind of do. Or maybe I don't. But I'm here regardless. Okay, well, if you're going to stay regardless, then can't we learn to get along? If you're going to be here, you're not going to listen to me. You, you say I'm not loud enough. I'm not strong enough to get rid of you. Can we work on making this better? How do I make it better? Okay. So then you bring in imagery. Yeah. Meaning? Meaning 
as you're in that conversation, if the eating disorder voice doesn't see, because again, we're going back to when you're not empowered yourself, your subconscious steps in. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to find ways for you to get empowered with your subconscious in connection with your subconscious and saying, guess what? I'm actually going to get empowered. I'm going to, I'm going to borrow on the strength from my mom or my boyfriend or God or whoever. I'm going to put him behind me, them behind me with their hands on my shoulders saying, I'm lending you all my power, all my love, my belief, my strength, all of this. I believe about you. Maybe I don't believe it for myself. Maybe I don't believe I'm strong enough, but they think I am or they support me in doing it. I'm going to borrow from them and I'm going to say, I'm going to learn to change this. Yeah. And then you go and you ask eating disorder voice, what do you think? Uh Oh, She sounds a little more serious when she's got that power behind her. Okay, going back to why it's important, why Gestalt, is because who's in the chair? Who are you talking to? Who are you convincing? Yourself. Yourself. And that's challenging those self-esteem issues. That is an attribution back to your subconscious, a hug to yourself saying, look at you. Look at you working, working to change this. Look at your efforts. Look at what your... um, the strengths that you're building. It's you doing it within yourself. And why this is so awesome is you don't have to be in a therapist's chair to do this. It's, it's, I, it's more help. I think, I think it's very nice to have actual guidance and oh, support yes. to walk you through the gestalt practice. Yes. I've never done it by myself, but yeah, you could definitely do it. By yes. Yourself. Well, and so I, yeah, I'm glad you clarified that. I'm not saying you don't need a therapist's help in doing this. I'm saying once you learn how to do it, Mm-hmm. It's it's another tool to add to your toolbox that yes. you can take home and go. Oh wait, now I know how to do this. Yeah. I know how to Kids, find empowerment. Don't come in my room. You're going to hear me talking to someone myself. <laughs> <laughs> I know I have two chairs set up in there. It looks crazy. Well, the thing the thing is is when you start practicing it enough, at first you start chair to chair because it gets you through the steps, the process, and helps you see how to do it. Mm-hmm fluently and become more effective at it. For me now, I kind of have, I separate it in my brain. Some of my clients that are too uncomfortable with doing it because they feel like there's kind of this portrayal of acting that comes that they're really insecure with, will write it. Mm -hmm. And then I would say this. And then she would say this. That's great. And then I would say this. And then she would say this. And again, what you're doing is you're validating your feelings, you're owning your truth, and you're seeking resolve within yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not dependent on anyone else. And, and the eating voice is within you. Yeah. So it's your accessing change there and you can bring in imagery and this is just one step. Okay. There's lots of other things that we do, but I would say if you have a voice an eating voice, that is the loudest voice in your mind that constantly is driving you and it is not effective for you, get to know that voice, develop a relationship Develop a relationship of understanding so that you can work together. It's not a fight over who gets to be loudest. Mm -hmm. Because in the end, for you to be empowered, for you to say to your subconscious, guess what? I actually don't need you creating this stuff to empower me because I'm doing it myself. Mm -hmm. And your subconscious, when it can see that and rely on your ability to start doing that, it doesn't have to be so loud. Because you're starting to become effective for yourself. So it doesn't need to step in and do that for you. Okay, so let's say you stay in this process long enough until you find your ability to make yourself heard a little more, to feel a little, like you have, even if it's just one or 2% more choice than you did going into it, Mm -hmm. 
that's movement, right? We're just trying to keep movement. And you can really, I mean, we're, we're talking about food today. This, this work can be applicable to anything. Yeah. I can put like a friend that hurt my feelings. I can put a grade if I'm a perfectionist and worried that I have to get A's. Maybe I put the A, the A grade person, me in the chair and I have a conversation with it. I can put anything. It's just leaning into your emotions, giving them a voice so that they can be heard, validated, add a little bit of logic to them. And then you get to see them differently. Kind of this alternative perspective we talked about before too. It's the way you go about leaning into the discomfort is through this chair work. And I find it to be really, really effective with the eating voice because when we go at it of just, I hate this, I I need to get rid of it. Every time I get in there with a client, they realize you're actually here to help me. Mm -hmm. So let's help you help me better, more effectively, because this way isn't effective. Yeah. So what if you're a parent of someone who is struggling with something like this? How can you effectively help them? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm so glad you brought that up. That is huge. First of all, you got to make sure yourself is in check. This picks at me personally. Where are you with your relationship with food? Because you're setting the example. Not just the example, but mirror and matching. Mm -hmm. You can set an example by what they see, but your kids feel. Mm -hmm. I will own this. This is a little bit hard for me, but I will own this. I shared my youth, right? I was highly focused on fitness, physical health, food. Mm -hmm. Most of my life, I would say just in the past five years, has that changed? I don't know that it was necessarily ineffective for me. I mean, I enjoyed it, enjoyed it. It motivated me. It made me feel good. But I am raising four kids. And I can remember my oldest daughter saying things to me like, Mom, why do you let me eat cookies and you don't eat cookies? Mm -hmm. Why, when we go for ice cream, do you not eat ice cream? Why do you give me more food than you give you? And at the time I would say, oh, well, sugar hurts mom's tummy or what I would kind of excuse it. And for whatever reason, um, my daughter's now 21. She's almost an adult. <laughs> I say almost an adult because will I ever <laughs> let her be an adult? <laughs> Hell no. Um, no, I want her. She is a great adult. She adults well. But now that she has a more mature brain and we can have that conversation, there was a lot of shame surrounding food for her based on my behavior. Yeah. Now, did I teach her that? I think who she was kind of added to that, but I definitely had some behaviors that whether I wanted to say that it did or not connected a lot of shame to certain yeah, things. Sure. And that was hard. I don't feel like because of that, then I failed because that's right. just her journey. This is something that is just cracks me up that I, I have wanted to say, I got to say it on here because so many people believe that if you are a therapist, your life should not have problems. Yeah. I can remember my seventh grade math teacher, she said, I went and heard your dad speak. And I was like, oh, really? And she said, yeah. I couldn't believe the nerve of him speaking when he has a daughter that behaves like you do. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have great citizenship in, I was a happy, talkative child growing up. So I was kind. Shame on you. (laughs) But I was disruptive. (laughs) And I remember going home and saying that to my dad, like, I don't think you're good at what you do. Because people don't think I'm good, you know? And people will say to me like, oh, I bet your kids are – challenges 
are the journey of life. Yes. They Everybody, don't discriminate against no. anyone. And they shouldn't because it's how we learn. So when I said, I'm sure that my behavior allowed or supported some shameful beliefs in my daughter regarding food, I don't feel like I failed as a mom. Yeah. I did my best. I'm still doing my best based on what I know. Does that mean I'm doing things that are going to screw my kid up? Yup. Yeah. But guess what? As they resolve and heal from it, they get the wisdom. So I don't have to feel like I say that it's a little hard for me because that's hard to hear. But it doesn't mean that I failed. I don't believe. It doesn't mean that it was my responsibility to take that away from my daughter because her resolution of it is going to give her something Mm -hmm. powerful. And thank goodness, because then it can kind of, and dad's talked about this, right? Knowing that and hanging on, hanging your head on that means I don't have to beat myself up. And I get to do it with my parents, the stuff that they did Uh that maybe I thought, well, that was a, that was a bit different or a bit rough. As I resolve that, I'm showing my kids, they can do the same thing with me. So going back to your question about how do you support kids, keep in mind what you're seeking evidence to prove to be true. Okay. If you are telling your children, these things don't matter, but your behavior shows that they do, mm-hmm. they're going to know and they're going to feel that. That's just one thing to think about. There's lots of things we can think about. That's the first thing I'm going to say. I said to my daughter, oh no, it's fine. But my behavior showed her it wasn't fine. Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter what I was saying. Right. It was what she was seeing and what she was feeling. She concluded it was not fine. So you've got to keep yourself in check. Also, was that what I sought to be true? Was that at the forefront of my mind? I saw a client yesterday who's had being eating issues right now. And we talked about possibly deleting some of her Pinterest boards. She has skinny boards. She has food boards. She has weight boards. She has all of her Pinterest is filled with mm-hmm. all of this stuff. Is that effective for you? Is that what you should be focusing on? Is that what your children see you focusing on? Next thing, keeping in mind, it's not always just about the food. Mm-hmm. Okay. We hypermanage that. A lot of parents think, oh, if my kids are fit or they appear to be healthy, that means I'm a successful parent. Mm-hmm. That means I'm parenting right. Who set that yardstick for you? Who decided that's right? Based on the experience that I've had in raising my children in my own journey, I would actually say that is not at all a part of my yardstick. Weight and what we eat is not at all proving that I am a good mom. I used to kind of believe that. Mm-hmm. I really believed that. I didn't feed my kids sugar. And then when I saw difficulty that it created in our home, I realized, yeah, nope, that's not an effective measurement tool for us. Mm-hmm. Um, are we active? Yep, because we like to be together. Are we active because people are need to because for fear of being overweight? Nope. And so the way that that's presented when you're a parent, you mirror to your kids what's possible. So if you're concerned about your weight, if you're saying things to yourself, whether you're saying them out loud or not, they feel it. So you have to be on your game Mm -hmm. on that. Then going back to food, a lot of parents think how we manage this then is food. Either I need to force my kids to eat more or I need to make sure they're eating less Again, that's the content. That's not the process. So what is being motivated by either either an overabundance of food, a lack of food, a hyper-focus of food? I mean, that is so prevalent in our society. I see it everywhere, food, diet, whatever. Should that be on your yardstick for your family of what is effective for you guys and what is ineffective? And 
always making sure that you are supporting your child in belief that they can do whatever it is they're facing. Mm-hmm. So did that answer your question? I feel like I gave yeah. three things specifically. So the three things I would say is keep yourself in check. What are you mirroring to your children from yourself? Do you love yeah. yourself? What is your relationship with food? Um, your yardstick of measurement, right? That's number two. Are you accepting other measurements for your family that are effective or ineffective yeah. on the way that you view food in right. your home? Because also like for some families, it might be effective to be like, actually, we're not eating sugar for a couple of weeks. Okay, guys, we're going to do this yes. together. We're going to, you know, every family is different where for someone else, it might be like, okay, I'm going to buy sugar cereal this week and yeah. I'm going to let my kids eat it. And depending on what yeah. you're going through. And you're the one that knows. Yeah. And why would you let someone else set for you your path when they're not on your journey, right? Yes. Um, so you have to have that insight to know that. The third thing was focusing more on the process, not the content. So the content is food. And that's how it's presented. It's what is the presenting problem, but it's usually covering a deeper issue. It's not necessarily food. Okay. Is it boredom? Is it lack of self-esteem? Is it a need that's not being met? Is it a lack of connection? Yes. Is it lack of connection? Is it um, punishment? I'm not eating to punish myself. Or is it shame? Is it food? It, same thing with an addict, right? There are things that they use, whether it's drugs or whatever, alcohol, but there usually, yes, that. there is an underlying need that's being met with the the content, right? With, with the, the drug. drug. So the same with okay. food. I would say there is an underlying need that's being met with the food. All of us as human beings, our behaviors are motivated by our needs. Mm-hmm. That's why I say this voice is there to help you because yes. it's motivated by a need. And as you learn to resolve that need in an effective way, the voice doesn't need to be so loud. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, it doesn't need to necessarily go away. Some of my voices that I, <laughs> that sounds <laughs> really, some of the voices that I hear, um, but no, some of the voices that I have conversations with when they show up, I know why they're there and they help get me back on path. My anxious voice shows up when other people's opinions are louder than mine. Mm-hmm. 100%. So when, it, when I feel that panic, I'm like, wait a minute. Whose opinion is getting got louder? Who did whose opinion did I allow to get louder than mine? Mm-hmm. Thank you for reminding me, anxious self. Mm-hmm. So um, I believe that food is just how it's presenting itself, mm-hmm. but there is an underlying need that it's fulfilling. And if you're not meeting that need effectively, your subconscious steps in and says, Get out of my way. Yeah. I'll take care of this for you. I know. I'd love to figure out what that need is that I have, but not really. (laughs) And it's not a one and done. I mean, you figure it out and then sometimes it morphs differently and you're like, "Mm, I got to refigure this out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, is that everything that was? And then the challenge I would give you, if your eating voice is louder than you would like it to be, spend some time with it. Get to know it and understand it based for yourself. It's easy to accept that from what everyone else tells you where it should be and all of that. But that just prolongs the work that you have to do in finding out what your relationship needs to be. And that becomes really empowering. Mentioning, when I talk about eating voice, 
I don't want to make it sound like that an eating voice is always negative. You're the one that gets to decide what's effective for you. So if you have an eating voice that isn't overbearing and helps you be effective in your life, that's awesome. Right. That's great. If you have an eating method. Yeah. If there's a method that you're like, man, this works for me and I feel great. Mm -hmm. That is awesome. Yeah. Great job learning to be effective for yourself and and to eat healthy for yourself and take care of your body in a healthy manner. Yes. It's when that voice gets too loud and it's. Yes. And when I talked about finding it for yourself and a lot of us don't know because we're wobbly in there, this goes back to when I talked about trying something on. Do you remember me talking about, mm-hmm. about that? That most, most reality starts in fantasy and we give it a go and we go, yeah, that worked. Yay, that's going to be part of my reality. And if you need to borrow from that at times to figure out what your stability is for yourself, that's great. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying avoid those things. We we know that through research. And through research is how you find out what is effective for you. And so it's okay to say, I'm going to borrow from this person's idea. If you recognize that your eating voice is out of control, then these are some steps to rein it back in. Yeah. And learning to be effective for yourself, creating that insight for that to happen. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Um, people, party people out there, if you are listening and enjoying this podcast, please go onto iTunes and rate and review us. We have loved the feedback we have gotten. I get text messages and instagram messages and thank you thank you and if you want to send me a message the best way to do it is right there in your itunes review i don't know i'm trying to tell you there's a place but i don't (laughs) even know where it is so go find it okay thanks bye